We're going to be in Numbers chapter 12, the whole chapter. We're going to um, go through verses 1 through 16. So if you have your Bibles and go to Numbers chapter 12. Criticism. Many of us dislike receiving criticism, even if it's constructive, even if it's destructive. Regardless, either way, many of us don't like receiving criticism. However, many of us love giving criticism. I know some of you guys criticizing me already. Right when you saw the bulletin, like, oh, this brother preaches. Man, I've been hearing him on Wednesday all the time, and, you know, like, nah. Some of you guys want to criticize me when the sermon's over, when I'm over there. Oh, it's time to criticize me. Y'all look forward to that. Like, yeah, let me see what he's going to mess up on. I'm going I'm to criticize this brother, right? But we need criticism. We need constructive, loving, encouraging criticism. That's iron sharpening. That, that is one of the ways we grow, right? Some of us need to practice giving good, godly, encouraging criticism and not be harsh and, and destructive. Today, I'm not talking about the positive, constructive, building up criticism. I am talking about the destructive, tearing down, hurtful criticism, the, the nagging criticism. Now, you might think this is not an important topic. You might think, oh, a sermon on criticism, you're going to go a whole 30, 45, an hour. You know, no, I won't preach that long, okay? I promise you, I won't preach that long, okay? But you're going to talk about criticism. What a boring topic. You know, this isn't fun. This isn't practical. Well, guess what? If you think that way, your critical self needs to hear this sermon. The title of this sermon is called The Sin of Destructive Criticism. We'll be looking at the damaging effects criticism brings and also the disciplinary actions criticism brings so that we, as a people of God, will not be known to be critical people, but encouraging people, gracious people, the bride of Christ. We cannot be known to be critical people. And I pray that you make a practice of repenting of this horrendous sin, although it might seem little, but we'll see in this narrative that this is a damaging, destructive, poisonous sin. Let's read verse 1. Let's look at the damage destructive criticism brings. Numbers chapter 12, verse 1. It says, then Miriam and Aaron's, Aaron spoke against Moses. Let's just stop there. Moses received criticism and antagonism from his brother and sister, Aaron and Miriam. And you guys know when you receive criticism from those who are closest to you, it's very hurtful, right? It's very painful. It could cause wounds. It could cause scars. This is an example of a sibling rivalry going on. And you see this a lot in Scripture. You know, all the way from Cain and Abel, you go to Joseph and his brother, you know, Jacob and Esau, Isaac and Ishmael. Mary and Martha, Rachel and Leah, there's so many of those sibling rivalries. Miriam being mentioned first implies that she was a person who started this drama. Also, in Hebrew, you can't see this in your English translation, but in Hebrew, the, word, the verb for spoken against is in the feminine form. That also indicates that she was the instigator of this problem. In fact, it can also imply that she was doing most of the talking. Aaron was probably just there like her lackey, just agreeing with her like, yeah, Alib, and yeah, that's right. Yeah, tell, tell him, Miriam. Yeah, that, that's what it is, but he was agreeing. Miriam, a godly woman, a prophetess, a worship leader, the oldest of her siblings. She was the one watching baby Moses as an infant on the river, making sure, making sure that he's safe, being adopted into Pharaoh's family. At a young age, she was a woman of, of strong faith, of, of strong courage. And then we have Aaron, the middle child. He was only three years older than Moses, according to Exodus 7 and 7. He was a priest 
and a prophet, a man of God, but he was always influenced by others. Here, he follows his big sister Miriam in this instigation. The sin of criticism is contagious. It's cancerous. It's similar to the sin of complaining. It is very closely related. It's like the sins of gossip and slander. They're kind of different, but usually they go hand in hand. They, they, they go together. And criticism and complaining are bedfellow sins, which is why I'm sure the Holy Spirit has Numbers 11, which is about complaining, proceed chapter 12, which is on criticism. What is the difference? Complaining is that whiny talk. You guys know what that is. You know, why do I got to, you know, work in person? How come I can't work from home? You know, how come I got to do this? You know, how long is this going to happen? You know, just murmuring and whining. Complaining is usually an external uh, expression of your discontentment and anger as circumstances. What is cri- criticism? It's expressing anger or discontentment towards someone. It's usually more sh- aggressive. It's usually an attack. You never do this. You always do that. You need to get a better job. Okay, you need to be a high-value man. Like, you know, you got three jobs, you ain't making no money. Or you need to clean up around the house. Even though your wife has, like, four kids, she pregnant, and you just come home from work and don't do anything, don't help, and you don't sacrifice, but you criticize. Criticism. You're stupid. You're not good at this. I could do better. Hard words. My boss is an idiot. Tearing down hurtful words, Miriam and Aaron, causing dissension, drama, friction, conflict, being messy. Why? Because of resentment, really. Resentment. Let's read verse 1 again. Then Miriam and Aaron spoke against Moses because of the Cushite woman whom he had married, for he had married a Cushite woman. Criticism is usually associated with some pretext and that something is brought up to cause more harm to a person that's not even related to the issue at hand. Miriam and Aaron began to talk against Moses because of his Cushite wife. A Cushite can also be translated as Ethiopian. really just means someone who is black, someone who is of African descent. The terms African and black weren't used yet during that time. So Ethiopian and Cush are like the, the, how they refer to as black people and African people back then. It is possible that this is Moses' second marriage because Moses' previous wife was mentioned by name throughout Exodus. Her name was Zipporah. Here, the wife's name is not mentioned. Plus, you know, why would Miriam and Aaron just randomly bring her skin color up after all these years? Maybe it could be possible they could have just been holding up, holding it in the whole time, and all of a sudden have an issue with it. That is a possibility. But it could also be Moses' second marriage because Zipporah, father's, Zipporah's father, Jethro, was from Midian. He was a Midianite. So because of that, Moses probably remarried because Zipporah maybe passed away. Remember, Moses had a long life. Okay, He died at 120 years old. By this time, he's like 80, probably, around that, around that age. However, there's another view that this woman could be Zipporah. Um, perhaps Jethro was also a Cushite. He could have been a Cushite. He just lived in Midian. Or maybe Midianites were referred to as Cushites as well. I mean, Midian's probably in Saudi Arabia. They could be dark-skinned too. Or maybe Zipporah is both a Midianite and a Cushite. Maybe her dad's a Midianite and her mom was a Cushite. What's my view? Guess what? It doesn't matter. You know what? I don't want you criticizing me. Another thing, that's not the purpose of this text. The purpose of this text is that Aaron and Miriam are being racist. They're being prejudiced towards someone because of their skin color. 
And we know that there, there are different ethnicities with the Israelites since Exodus. They had people from Egypt. They had black people with them the whole time. A mixed multitude came in Exodus 12, 38. There was a rabble who were complaining, complaining in Numbers 11 and 4. Had some brothers mad because they missed soul food. But we see here that two of the three leaders of Israel, Israel were being racist. See, Aaron and Miriam, they, they didn't have an issue with black people until their brother married a black woman. Let me ask you, are you a racist? See, some of us, we're fine with, oh, yeah, I'm fine with other ethnicities, but as soon as they come into the family, your sibling marries someone who's of a different ethnicity. Maybe your child brings someone of a different ethnicity to your house, or maybe they're actually interested in them romantically, and you have an issue with it. Do you have a problem with interracial marriage? Don't think just because you know people of different ethnicities. Just because you work with people of different ethnicities. Just because you go to church with people of different ethnicities. That you can't have racial attitudes. And I know the sin of racism. No one wants to confess it. No one never wants to admit, oh, I'm not a racist. Like, oh, you know, we, we admit that we struggle with sexual immorality before we say we struggle with racism. But in scripture, we see examples of godly people struggle in this area. Jonah, Peter. Barnabas. And here we see Miriam and Aaron. They got rebuked for it every time. Racism is something to be repented of. But Miriam and Aaron were holding in this resentment towards Moses to where they had an issue with his wife. Miriam's criticism manifested resentment, bitterness, but not only resentment, but it also manifested covetousness or envy. This is read verse 2. And they said, has the Lord indeed spoken only through Moses? Has he not spoken through us as well? And the Lord heard it. God has spoken through Miriam and Aaron. They're both prophets. Aaron was a mouthpiece for God, for the Israelites too. Just like Moses, not, not to the same extent, but he was a prophet. He was a, a priest. He was a leader. Miriam was a prophetess in her own right. You see, she was prophesying, prophesying in Exodus 15, verse 20 through 21. Micah 6, 4 mentioned how God provided these three leaders. He called them by name, Moses, Aaron, and Miriam, to lead the Israelites. But here's a problem. That wasn't enough for Miriam. That wasn't enough for Aaron. They wanted to be number one. They wanted to be the star player. They wanted to be the lead singer. And this shows you that sometimes a malicious criticism is the result of envy, of coveting. They want someone else. They want what someone else either has or accomplish, which leads to how criticism can lead to discontentment. See, Miriam and Aaron, they're in a good place. They were, they were leaders. God was definitely using them. But that wasn't enough because they were looking at someone else. They were looking at their brother. Many of us are actually discontent because we compare our lives to other people. Some of us might compare our lives to our siblings. Some of us compare our lives to our coworkers. Some of us compare our lives to people that we know, our friends, people on social media, to celebrities. To where we feel like, oh, I'm a loser. Oh, I'm nothing. Oh, I'm not good enough. Oh, why is God blessing them? When in, when in reality, God has blessed you. God has you. God gave you a spiritual gift. But we're not fulfilling our calling because we're worried about the next person. We're not focused on our purpose. 
We're not focused. We're not even trying to figure out what our gifts are, what our calling is, because we're busy criticizing someone else and looking at someone else and comparing our lives with someone else. But if we were to focus on the Lord, focus on what he gave us, how he blessed us, how much joy would we have? How much more would God use us? Criticism can manifest discontentment. Look, not everyone needs to be a quarterback. Not, every, not all of us are going to be a star player. You know, some of us are going to be the nose tackle. Some of us are going to be the kicker, the punter. The point is that we all have a purpose. Everyone wants to be like Mike, whether Jordan or Jackson. But here's the thing. Some of us are going to be Scottie Pippen. Some of us are not even going to be Scottie Pippen. We might be Tony Kukoc, Steve Kerr. You don't know who they are probably, but that's the point. The point is that you contribute to the championship team. You contribute to the church. You contribute to the bride, to the bride of Christ. Some of us, some of us aren't going to be Michael Jackson. Some of us are going to be Tito Jackson, Randy Jackson, Marlon. There's so many other Jacksons. But you play your role. Let me get biblical because some of y'all are going to criticize. Why are you using worldly examples? Some of, many of us aren't going to be a Paul or Peter. We're not even going to be a James or John. We're going to be a Tadeus, a Nathaniel, an Andrew. We might seem like a nobody. We might not ever get a Wikipedia page. We not, might not have the followers. We won't be a so-called Christian celebrity. But we're going to glorify God. Wednesday, I'm talking about Jeremiah and Lamentations. Jeremiah was a nobody to the world. He kind of failed in ministry in the eyes of the world, but he lived a God-honoring life because he was focused on his mission. Miriam was not having that perspective. See, every position in ministry has value, and it is needed in the body of Christ. We all need to be functioning and doing something. Miriam had a vital role, leading and ministering to the woman, but she was discontent with that. Aaron wasn't having that perspective either, A a priest and a prophet in his own right. But they weren't content, so they were criticizing Moses. How in the world do you get to be number one? No, God speaks through us too. Why, why are you like the man, basically? This shows you too that criticism can also be a display of pride or arrogance. Who here struggles with pride? Raise your hand. Who here struggles with pride? So this next point is for you. All right, this is for you. For those who didn't raise their hand, this is definitely for you, okay? So I got you guys. Oh, no. Oh, no. We struggle with pride. Don't tell me you guys are probably sitting here like, I don't, I don't struggle with criticism, you know? I'm good on this sermon. Oh, yeah. But you struggle with pride. You know, if we struggle with sin, we struggle with pride, okay? That's how it is, okay? Verse 3. Y'all scared to raise y'all hands. Y'all prideful, worried about what other people think of you. Just kidding. <laughs> now, the man Moses was very humble, more than any man who was on the face of the earth. Funny how Moses, you know, Moses is a writer of of numbers, right? He's a writer of the first five books of the Bible. He describes himself as very humble. See, some people think, hey, that's, that's proof that Moses didn't write this book. No. Remember, Moses is writing under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. It's possible for him to be reluctant to write this, like, wow, really? You know, God, you think that way about Holy Spirit? Write that, okay? This is what I want you to write. All right. And we see why it's written here, because we see it in context as to why we see a contrast between Moses and his siblings. We don't we do not see any recording of Moses fighting back. 
You know, he, he, he doesn't say anything. And I know some of us, if we're in that position, we're going to fight back. Oh, you, you talk about my wife, I'm going to smack you like Will Smith at the Oscars. Some of us are like that, right? But Moses was not like that. And I know sometimes I could get defensive. You know, I, I, get, I receive criticism. I want to get back, and it doesn't do anything, right? Just people trying to up each other and to the point to where we ain't going nowhere. See, Moses, he could have lashed out at them. He could have got on Mir- Miriam. You jealous? Because you don't got no man on Miriam. I got a fine tenderoni. I got me a dime piece. I got a cushion. I look like my wife. She looked like a cushion a little bit, Ethiopian, okay? But you jealous? Because I'm, God is using me. And I'm married. You probably mad because you don't got no man. Aaron, you're spineless. So why would God use you? Why would he use you? You let people run you. You, back in Exodus 32, you let the people, when I was gone, talking to God in Mount Sinai, you let the people worship and create a golden calf, and you was with there with them. And everybody's getting freaky because of you. No one respects you. Your own sons, playing with strange fire, don't respect you. So why don't you shut your mouth before I smack you with my rod, with your rod, actually. Now, Moses doesn't do that. Moses does not do that. But many of us will be like that. Many of us are going to talk junk back, especially when it's towards our spouse, especially when it's towards our ministry. And think about how Moses feels. Remember Numbers 11. I preached this a few years ago. You guys probably don't remember it. I did a sin of complaining. This is like the sequel, actually. But remember, Moses was dealing with straight complainers. Moses is stressed out like, man, come on, like my own siblings, my brother and sister, y'all don't have my back? Like, you see how God disciplines these complainers? Y'all complaining at me, criticizing me? Come on now. But Moses still... He doesn't say anything. Mary, I mean, Moses showing, displaying humility. See, criticizing manifests pride because it implies that you know it all. You know, you could criticize coaches, supervisors, managers, teachers, pastors. You have no experience doing those things, but yet you know more. You know so much that you have the right to criticize. But you know if you're in that position, you'll do worse than them possibly. A critical person who criticizes tends to always look down at people easily. Their way, their thoughts, their, how, they, how they think, their way is the standard of how everything should go. See, a critical person, you know, it's unloving to always destructively criticize. It's arrogant. It judges in a prideful way. It accounts wrong. Critical people never carry any hope of being pleased. They're always negative. Notice it's the, it's the opposite of what 1 Corinthians 13 talks about when it refers to love. That's why most critical people are lonely people. No one wants to be around someone who's always critical, has a negative attitude all the time. You can't please someone with a critical spirit. That's, danger, that's the danger of people pleasing, too. You can't please everyone. And what's interesting, too, about critical people is that they can't take criticism. You ever try, and you give some kind, gentle, loving, like you prayed about this before you gave the criticism to this person, and oh no, oh, it's World War III. Oh, they, they get enraged. They get an outburst of anger. They start crying. It's like, are you so, you offend, you're, that's offensive. Like, how could you say that? Like, hey, if, if you criticizing me all the time, I would think you, that opens up the door that I could critique you back, but not in a harsh way. I'm just trying to help you out. That's the, that's the issue with criticism. It, it makes you so prideful and, 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 and arrogant. And that's why some of the most critical people are the most oversensitive people. And being oversensitive can be an indicator of pride as well. Sometimes you being offended all the time is your problem. 
See, your, your triggers, that, that's something that you're responsible for. It is not the world's responsibility to walk on eggshells around you trying to figure out how you respond. And I know you're probably hurt hearing this, but it's the reality because you being oversensitive all the time, having issues, how is that helping you? Sometimes we got to learn to respond like Moses. And Moses had anger issues. If you look at the life of, of Moses, he struggled with anger. But here he seems like he has full restraint right here. It seems like he, he's good. And many of us, when we receive criticism, we have to expect it. Christ himself was criticized all the time. And yes, there are times where you need to defend yourself. Paul had to defend himself with the Corinthian church, right, when they were, when they were falsely accusing him of wrongdoing. Jesus defended himself, but sometimes we don't have to say anything. See, Christ himself was oppressed and afflicted, yet he did not open his mouth when he was accused by the religious leaders before being crucified. Sometimes you got to just kill it with silence. And Moses understood that. He took the criticism of his marriage. He took the criticism on his ministry from his siblings. He turned the other cheek. He let God deal with him, and God did. And remember what it says at the end in verse 2. It says, and the Lord heard it. He heard what Miriam and Aaron were saying, which leads us to the second component of the sin of criticism, the discipline destructive criticism brings. We're going to look at verses 4 to 16. Let's just read verses 4 to 8 for now. Suddenly the Lord said to Moses and Aaron and to Miriam, you three, come out to the tent of meeting. So the three of them came out. Then the Lord came down in a pillar of cloud and stood at the doorway of the tent. And he called Aaron and Miriam. When they had both come forward, he said, hear now my words. If there is a prophet among you, I, the Lord, shall make myself known to him in a vision. I shall speak with him in a dream. Not so with my servant Moses. He is faithful in all my household. With him I speak mouth to mouth, even openly and not in dark saying. And he beholds the form of the Lord. And why then were you not afraid to speak against my servant, against Moses? Suddenly, the word emphasizes that God took action in an instant. This is like a coach, okay? His three captains are not getting along. So the coach has to hurry up and intervene because if not, it's going to trickle down to the whole team. So this is a sudden thing. He calls all three of them. All three of you guys come to the tenth of meeting. Reminds, reminds me of my parents. You ever have your parents just call all the siblings? Everybody get in trouble, okay? But um, Aaron, and, and Aaron and Miriam were probably shaking in their boots. Moses was probably like, man, I ain't doing anything. Why, you know, why, why I got to call it over here, right? So God explains to Miriam and Aaron how Moses has a unique relationship, that he speaks to Moses clearly, not in visions, not in dreams, but face to face. Moses had the most intimate encounters with God than any of the prophets of the Old Testament. He, God, he didn't speak in code or anything. It was, it was straight up. There was no mediator. Moses didn't have to go to a priest or anything. God even shares how Moses has been faithful in his work. And that's interesting because maybe, maybe Miriam and Aaron were actually criticizing Moses for not being faithful enough. But God says, Moses has been faithful what he's been doing. Then God asked, why then were you not afraid to speak against my servant, against Moses? God is basically saying, if you do not fear talking down on Moses, you have no fear and reverence for me because I chose Moses. This is what God says. Let's see what God does in verses 9 and 10. So the anger of the Lord burned against them and he departed. But when the cloud had withdrawn from over the tent, behold, Miriam was leprous as white as snow. As Aaron turned toward Miriam, behold, she was leprous. Because of the petty 
and unnecessary drama that Miriam and Aaron brought, God was infuriated. See, criticism invites God's infuriation, his wrath, his anger, his discipline. He had a burning nose. He was filled with intense heat and infuriation. Once God left from the tent, Miriam was plagued with leprosy, a skin disease that, that de- deforms. It could be on your face, too, not just your body. And it can become so severe, it could become deadly. Leprosy was a very common disease back in biblical times. It's still around, uh, but it's not as common. It is ironic that Miriam, who did not like someone's dark skin, is now plagued with a skin infection that caused her skin to be white as snow and flaky and diseased and deformed. If you criticize, if you're prejudiced, if you're messy, if you influence others to tag along in your sin, you invite God's discipline. You might not get leprosy, might get COVID. No, I'm just kidding. You might get something. <laughs> it could be sickness. The discipline could come in any other form, right? Here it just so happens to be leprosy. And we can't forget, too, the fact that God's presence, presence left. It says he departed. Of course, God is omnipresent. God is everywhere. And we know that when you criticize others, it damages the fellowship and intimacy with your brothers and sisters. Not only that, but it damages the fellowship and intimacy with God. See, if you're a critical person, if you, if you have a spirit of criticism, you're going to feel like God is distant. distant. You're going to feel like God doesn't hear your prayers. You're, you're not going to just, you're, something's going to be different about you, how you feel. And sometimes we, we might wonder, why did, why did Miriam get punished for the sin and not Aaron? Simple answer. She started it. She spread it. Most vocal sins are contagious. The sins of the tongue, slander, gossip, even foul language can be contagious, complaining, and even criticism. We have to be careful with that. Dr. Felix did a whole series on the tongue um, for months, which was good. But criticizing will not only lead to God's discipline, well, this kind of relates to God's discipline, but it will involve you to be humble, which is the next disciplinary action it will bring. A critical spirit will bring humiliation, or you could say shame. Let's read verses 11 to 14. Then Aaron said to Moses, Oh, my Lord, I beg you, do not account this sin to us in which we have acted foolishly and in which we have sinned. Oh, do not let her be like one dead whose flesh is half eaten away where he comes from his mother's womb. Moses cried out to the Lord, saying, Oh, God, heal her, I pray. But the Lord said to Moses, If her father had but spit in her face, will she not bear her shame for seven days? Let her be shut up for seven days outside the camp, and afterward she may be received again. Aaron, in desperation, in desperation right when he saw that Miriam was, was leprous, actually begs Moses, calling him Lord, not idolizing not idolizing him, just understanding that he understands his role now. Yes, he is above me. I'm subordinate to him. Calling him Lord. And he's basically pleading with Moses for forgiveness. Do not account this sin to us. Do not hold this sin against us. He's basically begging, please, we've acted foolishly. We were stupid for criticizing you. Aaron, this is some repentance right here. He's like, he's asking for forgiveness, and, and what we've done was stupid. What we said was foolish. And we see that Miriam doesn't say anything. Perhaps she was so horrified. She was so speechless. I mean, imagine your skin just changing color and just deformed and diseased and sickly looking out of nowhere. Like, you know, she was probably responding that way. 
And Aaron, he, he, he actually says that, you know, don't allow her to die, to be like someone who is born and the flesh is eaten away. Aaron compares Miriam's leprosy to how a stillborn will look. Aaron here is panicking. He, he's screaming to Moses desperately. Aaron is really acting like Moses has full control of this. And Aaron, he's a priest. He could have access to the father himself. He got access to God himself. But he was probably so convicted. He was probably so shameful and humiliated. He wanted Moses to intercede for him. And Moses could have been like, well, that's what y'all get. You know, that, that's your problem. Or like, hey, well, God disciplined you. I, you know, I, I don't got nothing to do with that. But no, we don't see that. We don't see any gloating. We don't see any wishing ill will. We don't see any retaliating. We don't see no, aha, that's what you get. No. Moses, so humble, right? Gracious, patient, loving, forgiving, cries out to God. It says, oh God, heal her, I pray. It's clear that Aaron, you know, loved his sister. He was begging for, for Moses to pray to God so that, you know, she won't die. You know, heal her. But let me tell you something. Moses loved her sister, his sister, with emphasis. See, one of the most forgiving displays of love is actually forgiveness. And it's weird because you have to get offended first, right? You got to be sinned against, right? But the most Christ-like, God-like thing to do is to forgive. And that is the problem with a lot of situations in the workplace and marriages, the relationship between parent and child. There's no forgiveness. People don't want to forgive. People are too prideful. We want God to forgive us all the time, but when someone sins against us, oh no, I'm holding this. I'm getting them back. Before I leave, I'm getting that person back. That's not how we should be. Moses, humble. And you can learn a lot from the leadership of Moses. See, this is a, a real leader. We tend to think just because you have a strong personality, that auto automatically makes you a leader. Okay? And that's the issue. That's the reason why we have horrible leaders in our society in every area, politics, even in the home, husbands, workplace, the managers, supervisors are jerks sometimes, right? Um, even at the church, you know, we tend to think we just choose, oh, someone with a strong personality, they're a leader. And there's nothing wrong with having a strong personality. Some of us, God wired you to have a strong personality, like Miriam, but you have to monitor it. Some of us have a more easygoing, laid-back personality, like Aaron. Well, we have to monitor that as well. We can't be a doormat, a people-pleaser, a coward, right? But Moses, we see here, displays characteristics of what a, a good leader is. You know, tenderness, gentleness, integrity, patience, be a peacemaker, self-control, basically the fruit of the Spirit, right? And like I said, Moses struggled with anger a lot through his ministry. But here, he's showing a good example of self-control. Moses prays that God be gracious and healer. However, in verse 14, God told Moses that she will be healed, but she will face the consequences of her sin. She will have to reap what she sowed. And then verse 14, this is an interesting verse right here. Verse 14, it says, But the Lord said to Moses, If her father had but spit in her face, will she not bear her shame for seven days? Let her be shut up for seven days outside the camp, and afterward she may be received Again, God equates Miriam's sin to being as shameful as being spit upon by her father. Okay, being spit on is one of the worst things that could happen to you, right? Imagine it being from your dad. Okay, this is a difficult comparison to grasp, you know, why God uses this imagery, but it's to demonstrate, to show how shameful and humiliating and foolish criticizing is. Miriam's sin is now publicized. She is in shame. Miriam and Aaron tried to humiliate 
and shamed Moses with their criticism, but now they are the ones shamed and humbled and rightfully criticized by God. See how the tables turn so quickly. If you criticize, be prepared to be embarrassed. Be prepared to be humbled. You try to bring shame on someone by criticizing them, just know it may fall harder on you. So a critical spirit brings God's discipline. It, it brings his infuriation. It, it, makes, it brings humiliation, but it also brings stagnation. Let's see verse 15 and 16. So Miriam was shut up outside the camp for seven days, and the people did not move on until Miriam was received again. Afterward, however, the people moved out from Hazroth and camped in the wilderness of Paran. Due to Miriam having leprosy, she basically had a quarantine for a week. See, the CDC got this stuff from the Bible. Y'all think it's just, you know, they just made that up. No, it's from the Bible, okay? She had to be shut out from the community for seven days, and then she could be in community again, and they, they could move forward. They could not move forward because of one person, one person. That shows you that your sin affects communities. It affects those around you. You guys might think, oh, this is criticism. It's just a little cute sin. It's not anything too big, right? It affects communities. This shows you, too, that if you nag at your spouse, your marriage ain't going to progress. If you criticize, don't think you're going to have a happy ending. And you don't repent of your criticism. You don't think there's anything wrong with you. It's always the other person. You got three fingers pointing back at you when you point this way, okay? So when I'm pointing at you guys, when I'm preaching, I'm preaching to myself too, okay? Don't worry, all right? When you criticize on the job with your coworkers, what makes you think you're going to get a raise and a promotion? And God hears it. Remember how in verse 2, the Lord heard it. Fairview, if we're a church, that just consists of criticizers and complainers, we ain't going nowhere either. We'll be stagnant. We're not going to grow, whether spiritually or numerically. We're going to stay just how we are. If not, we'll die. That's the reality. You want to kill your marriage? Criticize. You want to divide and split the church? Criticize. But just know you'll be disciplined for it. Just know you bring God's, you invite God's infuriation and discipline. It's a sin to not be played with. A criticizer in a community is a poisonous gangrene. It is cancerous, but it is also dead weight. See, sometimes it's relieving to have criticizers go. You ever work a job and you know someone who's just always critical, always complaining, and they leave the job or they got fired, like, oh, my goodness, thank God. You know, this person is just always negative, you know? And honestly, it'd be like that in the church sometimes. Like, oh, I ain't tripping that they left. You know, they just dead weight, always criticizing in my ear and stuff. I'm trying to do ministry and stuff. You just talking your ear off, talking my ear off, and other people starting drama. All right? Destructive criticism stunts growth and blocks potential blessings in your life. It is a sin that needs to be repented of. The sin of destructive criticism. It is damaging. It will bring God's discipline if you don't repent of it. But something... I want to point out in this story regarding this blunder that Miriam and Aaron were in is that they were forgiven. Micah 6, 4, God talks about how he used these three people, Moses, Aaron, and Miriam. He used them to lead the Israelites. But also, what I like about this story is that you really see the humanity of these two people. Miriam, a prophetess 
and worship leader. Sinner like you and I. Aaron, a prophet, a priest. Sinner like you and I. I, I identify with these people. You know, I struggle with being critical. I've said some hurtful things to people that were destructive. You know, I, I've, I've dealt with, you know, racial attitudes, racism and prejudice in my thoughts. I've acted like a coward and a people pleaser like Aaron. We see the humanity of these people. And many of you guys struggle with these sins too. But Christ died for our negative attitudes. Christ died for our criticizing. Christ died for our stubbornness, our complaining, our discontentment, our envy. He died for all the thoughts we've had. He died for all the things that we've spoken. He died for all the things that we've done. And if you're here today, and you might not struggle with criticism, but here's the thing, here's the reality. We've all fallen short of the glory of God. We've all sinned. We all deserve God's eternal wrath. That's hell. We all deserve that. Whether it's a so-called small sin like criticism or something like murder. We've all, we're all on the spectrum that we deserve hell. But God loves us so much that he does not want us to perish but have eternal life. So if you turn from your sins, if you, if you repent, you will be forgiven. And not only that, you'll have eternal life. And God is going to use you in a great way. And if you're here today and you're a believer, I want you to remember to focus on your mission. Only time you should be looking at, other, at someone else is if it's encouraging. If it's constructive criticism, meaning that it's intertwined with encouragement. Not just bashing people like, oh, you're trash, or you're, like, you're not good at this, or this, this ministry is whack, or boring, whatever. We need to be a people of encouragement and gracious people like Moses. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for this word. Even though it's convicting, even though it's challenging, maybe it's hard for us to really take and swallow, Lord. We can't walk away from this message in this chapter, Numbers 12, and not see how you're a forgiving God. And you're a father that disciplines. Even though we sin, even though you forgive us, Lord, there are consequences of our sin that we'll have to use, Lord. And God, we thank you that we, we can't, you know, meet the standard that you have as far as how we are to live, Lord. But we thank you that there's a way. We thank you that Jesus died in our place. He lived the perfect life for us and died in our place. And he rose on the third day. We thank you for that good news. And Lord, help us to be an encouraging people, a church community that truly loves and, and, and wants to see the best in others, and help us to encourage. Pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.